part of what we can do through our outreach programs, through things that happen in the building, through our website, through digital pieces, through all sorts of things, is help students to see the possibilities that are out there. And even more than that, the possibilities we don't even know are going to happen yet. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to Learning Unboxed. I'm very excited today to um, have with us our guest, Dr. Kimberly Keel, who currently serves as Senior Vice President of Operations and Experience at COSI uh, in Columbus, Ohio. So we're really excited to have you here with us today. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And so for some context for our listeners, so I have known Kim now, oof, at least a decade, Ooh, at least, at least, and I <laughs> maybe I, two, <laughs> maybe two, maybe two at this point. And you know, over that time, I've known Kim in a number of roles, and those roles um, that she has played in the world of informal education, museums, and education uh, makes her the perfect person to talk with us today about the power of informal ed and its meaning in communities. And over the years, uh, she's also um, been director. Of Museum Ohio Project at the Ohio History Connection. She has served as Executive Director of Smithsonian Early Enrichment Center. I met her. She was actually at COSI doing a lot of work with the Ohio STEM Learning Network in Battelle. Uh, for our listeners, uh, uh, go back and listen to some of the episodes uh, where we talked about the formation of the Metro Schools, uh, design challenges, the OSLN and Battelle's role in some of those early uh, pieces. And so it's been a fun journey over the years. It has been a fun journey. Yeah. And it's been an interesting one moving. I started actually in formal education and left formal education to go into informal. So yeah, it's been interesting. So that makes you the perfect person to have this conversation with us as we think about positive disruptions and how um, folks around the world can really think about utilizing and leveraging local resources, um, local entities, organizations, museums, opportunities, and really try to sort of transition the value and power of those experiences into the everyday in the classroom. And so that's what I'm really excited to talk with you about. So let's start with with your current role at COSI. So uh, for folks who are not um, um, from Central Ohio, the Midwest, um, sort of explain to us what COSI is, because this is one of those great gems um, that we have um, in the U.S. Yeah, so I'm going to be biased probably, but I'm going to say that COSI is probably the best science museum in the world. <laughs> so we've been around a long time. COSI has a long history, um, Center of Science and Industry, um, where everyone calls us COSI. We have been open in our new location, which everyone still calls our new location, but for 20 years now. Yeah, but it's just the old location. It's not the Kim. old one, but we were there for 40 <laughs> and now we're here. So, you know, I think, so we're a place that both invites people in 
to to experience STEM and STEAM even and with some of the things that we have there. And then we're also a place that takes things out. We were the founder of programs like Camp In, where you come right. and sleep overnight. Right. We did the first traveling shows, our Kosai and Wheel shows, which we affectionately call cow shows. <laughs> so we have a lot of things that we've innovated and we're continuing to do that as we go forward. Right. And so let's talk about how a community that has such resources and Columbus truly does. We we are, um, I think, a rare community that we have a symphony, we have an opera, Mm -hmm. we have rock theater, we have amazing um, arts programs. We have science um, center that's, COSI is just off the charts. We have an amazing zoo and aquarium and the list goes on and on Mm -hmm. um, in terms of those types of resources. So I want to make sure that when we have this conversation, conversation that folks recognize that it doesn't always have to be that big, giant, flashy place. Right. That the reality is those places are successful because they fundamentally understand the value of the applied hands-on immersive experience. Yes. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I'm just a community out there and I have uh, some limited local resources, but I really want to understand how is it that the informal education world, museums and science centers in particular, Mm -hmm. are able to capitalize on those local resources and turn them into something tangible for our students? Yeah. So I'm I'm going to actually use an example of something that that COSI is about to do this year, which is the Big Science Festival. Right. So, um, for four days, um, we are are organizing, really helping to to organize, not necessarily run all of it, a science festival that will cover really the whole community outside right. Columbus, and it's a great example of how we're helping a community to activate the STEM that's already in their community and make it visible to people and invite people to see it. So there'll be events that will take place across three days in the communities all around the city. And then that'll be capped by all of those Mm -hmm. places coming together outside COSI for a huge one-day science festival outside the building. So it's really saying, we don't have everything. We're going to help you see what you have, and we're going to help you make it visible, which I think is an important role for a museum to play. It's not always about come see us, come see us, come see us, although we love when you come Mm -hmm. see us, but it's also about What do you have here and how do we help you find what you have here and how do we help you bring that to the forefront? And that's one of the things that we're really excited about and one of the ways I think museums are changing. They're going out into communities in different ways and engaging students and families in different ways. And I think the other piece that it's it's joyful to see and to get to experience and PASS is participating in the the COSI Science Day. I mean, um, everybody who has a hand and quite frankly, in playing out in the world in our community is is and should be engaged in that activity because to your yeah. point, it's really about the the eclectic set of resources that we have that we could think about very differently and we could put them in play right. in an educational space, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And you know, one of the pieces that we're doing um leading up to this the science festival is we're naming these STEM stars, yeah. right? And so there's this whole variety of mm-hmm. people that are just in your neighborhoods that range from Dom Tiberi and the programs he's been doing about, you know, preventing texting while driving right. to um, a, an Eagle Scout who did a project with a creek that, right. that, 
you know, he's, that was his Eagle Scout project. So there's a whole range of people Mm -hmm. that we're starting to say, but look, that person is a scientist. They're doing science. And we're starting to recognize that in in different ways. And I think that's a really fun piece that we can do. And I think that the other thing that it does for any community, um, large or small, is it helps folks recognize that the reality is science, just like language and so many other things, is interwoven in every aspect of every single thing that we do. You can't really separate it out. Uh, that's one of the big pushbacks, for example, that we collectively see You know, with the acronym, whether it's STEAM or yeah. STEM or anything else. And you've seen so many acronyms. Some I can probably recall, you know, I collect them and I've seen yeah. a million of them <laughs> know, over right? the years, yeah. right? <laughs> and every time I see a new one, I'm like, huh. You know, it, it's a reflection of not understanding the basis by which the world we live in operates and functions that is fully, fully intertwined. And so I do love this approach because it reminds us frequently that, you know, the the graphic artist is as much as a scientist as, you know, the the person working in the lab and so on. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me. One of the things you hear people talking about all the time is they say, well, you do STEM all the time. When you cook dinner, you do science. And when I think about that, I when I'm cooking dinner, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm doing science. Of course not. So <laughs> so to me, yeah. uh, you know, I try to say science is all around you yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. It's always happening. Yep. It's not that you're cooking dinner and saying, oh, I'm doing science now. But science is happening oh, while yeah. you're doing it. Absolutely. Right? And so how do we make that visible mm-hmm. for you in a way that you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So, And I think how do we make the connections, right? That's the other piece, right? Yeah. To, to ensure that we are taking the amazing content that's out in our communities and in our environment and we are showing the way it all connects. Yeah. That it is, in fact, this collective set of stuff that is our community. Yeah. I think the other thing that informals do, so museums, you know, science museums in particular that we're talking about, but, but others as mm-hmm. well, um, you'll hear people talk about informal learning, but sometimes they'll also talk about free choice learning, right. which is a phrase I really like mm-hmm. because I think one of the advantages that we have, that informals have, is that people are choosing it, right? right. They're making right. the choice to right. come and learn. And if you think about things that you've learned and the things you know really, really well, mm-hmm. I'd be willing to bet you, you didn't get that in school. Some things you did, mm-hmm. but a lot of those things you got outside. So, you know, there's a great piece by John Falk and Lynn Durkin called The 95% Solution yep. that says, you know, 95%, people will tell you 95% of what they know about science they didn't learn at school. Right. They learned it through something mm-hmm. else. And so when you're making the choice to learn something, you learn it differently than if you're being forced to learn it. Absolutely. Right? So, Absolutely. so that pl- we have this opportunity to hook people mm-hmm. and get them interested and then let them make the choice and then help them to go deeper, Absolutely. which I think is a great piece. And I think you're 100% correct. And when I think about my own personal journey, it has been so many places and and, in such a variety that the reality of it is, absolutely. I learned a lot in school. I learned so much more out in the world. Yeah, absolutely. But part of that was because along the way, I I found myself in environments um, where the learning to learn and the understanding Mm -hmm. of the value and the power of learning and Mm -hmm. that it's a lifelong experience was 
fully ingrained. And I think part of that comes from the sort of wraparound opportunity, if you will, of taking formal, informal, um, and and the the world of experience and curiosity, right? Yes. Uh, that I had um, and rolling it all together. So yep. how talk to me a little bit because I, I do want to talk about um, the work that you were doing at the Smithsonian because yeah. it's an intriguing intersection in these ideas that I suspect actually lent itself to a lot of the way that you think and you approach the work that you're doing today. So um, give our listeners just a, a little overview about what the program was yeah. and, and where the value in it was for you. Oh, gosh. where the, That's a big question. Um, so Smithsonian Early Enrichment Center is a school that lives inside the Smithsonian Museum, serves infants through a licensed kindergarten. So, you know, some people I think would look at it and say, well, that's childcare. Mm-hmm. It's not right. childcare. Right. It's it's education. The really interesting thing about SEEK was that the classrooms were just sort of a landing place. The learning took place out in the museums. Exactly. So we would take the kids, even the babies, mm-hmm. out into the museums to see pieces, to discuss things, to connect them back to things that were happening in the classroom. So... The toddler classroom, for example, might be talking about animals and in their classroom, they might have some activities that involved, you know, plastic animals and rubber animals and photos. Mm -hmm. But then they would go into the American history or the natural history gallery and look at the beautiful photographs and have a discussion about those. And so really, we were teaching using these great Mm -hmm. treasures, Mm -hmm. but more importantly, we were teaching using questions. Right, right. So we would encourage them to ask their questions. And as they asked their questions, we would help them find those answers right, right. and then find the next question. So not just find the answer and move on, mm-hmm. but what's the next question you have? And that's the learning to learn piece, absolutely. right? Which is absolutely foundational. Yep. And I think you said a word that's so important, which is curiosity. Right. I think that in these free choice settings or in settings like SEEK, what we're really building on is your curiosity. And we really try to draw your curiosity out and encourage that. Mm-hmm. And once you're curious, then you'll learn and you'll learn differently than if you're just like, oh, I have to learn this for a test. I right. have to learn this right. because I have to get a grade on a test. So, you know, I tell people all the time, I have a PhD, but almost everything I know about science, I learned at COSI. Right almost every single thing because I had an experience and then I got curious and I wanted to know more about it. And then I looked some more and then I'd go downstairs and say something to somebody. So almost everything I know in quotes about science, Mm -hmm. that's how I learned it. Right. So that's what SEEK does, but it starts from the time they're babies. So and then hopefully they continue that through life. Right. And that's one of those things I think that is very foundational. And I think that's one of the other places where, it's certainly for me in my own journey, and the work that we do at PASS and the Innovation Lab has really been through that space of, I want to provide an opportunity to learn as much as I can through my innate curiosity mm-hmm. and the opportunity yeah. to take Whatever the concept is, maybe it's drones, maybe it's biology, maybe it's, you know, how, how better to filter sunlight, you know, in, in, in a variety of environments. It doesn't make any difference 
what what we're looking at, what we're exploring, but I have to be able to ground that in something that's tangible and meaningful to me. Yes. I also have to have a personal connection. And yep. That's the other piece in this equation that is, you know, one of the cornerstones of making that sort of foundational learning how to learn and being a lifelong learner has to come in. I have to be able, as humans, yep. to find the connection. So, um, the, the connection piece, how then, for example, you know, part of your tenure has also been with through the Ohio History Project. And that's yeah. all about taking something and finding a way to make it relevant right right now, this moment. Yeah. How do you do that? Does so, teachers struggle with this all the time? Teachers do struggle with it. I mean, people struggle with exactly. it, right? I mean, exactly. museums struggle right. with it. Everybody yep. struggles with it. You know, I, I think there's a couple ways. I think one is through questions. Mm-hmm. So if you ask the right question, you can find out what somebody's interested in, and then you can take them to that next place. But I think story is really powerful too. And I think that that we haven't used story enough. History museums tend to be pretty good about using right. story, but even there, those stories sometimes um, are abbreviated stories or they're um, the story that the curator wanted to tell as opposed to this more right. broad story. So, you know, one of the things that that I've been thinking about, I was lucky enough to see Hamilton on Friday mm-hmm. night. Oh, you and, are lucky. <laughs> um, and, you know, as I'm watching it I'm, and afterwards, I'm thinking that's a great use of story right. to, to draw you in and, you know, all this stuff that I learned about Hamilton that I never learned in school, I just learned in two hours sitting in this musical because this story pulled me in. Um, So how do we use those things Mm -hmm. in different ways? Mm -hmm. And I think museums have this really unique opportunity to do that. Science museums, Mm -hmm. history museums, Mm -hmm. art museums, all of them. Yeah, they they really do a beautiful job um, with that. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about how we take that experience, that knowledge base, and we help communities think about incorporating that into the everyday in a traditional setting. So back into the classrooms. Yeah, And COSI does a lot of work in the space um, with a lot of, uh, of, of others in and around the world that are really thinking about how we make tangible transitions into an applied hands on environment. So as as we really embrace 21st century and the opportunities that are coming with rapidly crazing technology and all the influences coming in, how do we keep what's happening in that particular moment still relevant? And I think that applied is one of the ways that we can do that. So what, what's COSI's sort of approach with this? Um, so, you know, I think that's a good question. I think, I think um, Museums in general are sort of struggling with that interface between school and and informal. And do we try to fit into school? Um, so you'll see, you know, and we do this. We design our programs based on standards right. and all of the things because that's what a teacher needs to right. justify. Um, you know, I think we we need to think a little more about how we complement the formal as mm-hmm. opposed to how we fit into mm-hmm. the formal mm-hmm. and um, how do we provide this this sort of other thing that says okay here's what they're learning in school here's another way to look at it and here's another way to think about it um, I think museums are really struggling mm-hmm. with that right now mm-hmm. um, schools are struggling mm-hmm. with it so um, you know we still go into a ton of schools we bring programs in, we bring workshops in, we do all of those things. Um, But I worry a little that 
those are one shot things mm-hmm. and are they really changing what's happening? Um, we've done some programs and a lot of museums are doing programs where they're really working to help teachers mm-hmm. think differently about their work. So to use inquiry in a mm-hmm. different way. And that's great if they go back to a system where that's supported. Correct. But Correct. if they go back to a system where it's not supported, then, you know, so so I think it's it's an interesting dilemma is how do we fit into this ecosystem um, rather than be so focused on how to change a school system mm-hmm. that I'm not sure we can change, really. Yeah, I mean, and we have certainly have that particular conversation a lot with Learning Unboxed about yeah. whether or not you know, it's we should spend time, to your point, trying to change the system, um, reimagine the system, right. reinvent the system. You know, take your pick. Um, but I think that you know maybe there's a maybe there's a soft spot in between um, those scenarios, and I guess that's what I'm hopeful for. I don't know that I necessarily mm. say yes, there is in fact, but I think that um, the I think that there is an opportunity for formal to adopt more of the informal ethos. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's the sort of spot in between because you're right, you can't you can't go in especially in a system that may or may not be supportive of that more inquiry or applied sort of based approach and move that needle very far. Mm-hmm. It becomes a great workshop for mm-hmm. somebody who wanted to give that a try, but it has no long-term impact right. on practice. However, you know, somewhere along the way there has to be that moment where the influence of the way that the individual thinks about or approaches what the teaching and the learning in their classroom is that can have more yeah. of those opportunities. And I do think that organizations like COSI have have a meaningful role to play in that space. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's absolutely true. And we've actually seen that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have some, for example, some teachers, some schools that come back year after year mm-hmm. after year after year because they had an experience and went, oh my gosh, I could think differently about about what I do, or I could think differently about how do I engage kids? Mm-hmm. So how do I find out what they're interested in and then link my curriculum to that? So we we see that soft spot in that place in the middle. Um, we see that happen. Um, and that's always really encouraging when you see that happen. I do think you're right. There's mm-hmm. more room for that to happen. And I think we could play a pretty significant role in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think things like the programs that we do help with that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also how do we get out into the community in a different way, like mm-hmm. a science festival or like some of the other work that we're going to do that really um, it, it changes a larger community. So the conversation around the school mm-hmm. is different exactly. too, right? Exactly. And that's that's a key thing, right? If we can't change the course of the conversation, we can't ask a different set of questions. And I right. I often right. have this conversation out and about. Um, you know, I'll be brought into a community to talk about, you know, a variety of different ways that they could think about um, teaching and learning, formal or informal, very differently. And one of the places I almost always find myself in that giant thought bubble in those conversations, um, usually sooner rather Rather than later in a conversation is, I'm really concerned that we're not even asking the right questions yes. here. Yeah. Right? And I think that there's something to be said for that. Yeah. So with that in mind, one of the other things that I think that COSI does really well, and I think that many communities would benefit um, from somebody in the community really taking that role, is that intersection between 
economic and workforce development from the business and industry side of what's happening in our community and how that tangibly applies to the learning uh, in in the the spheres of sciences in particular, right? Because Mm -hmm. I do think lots of business Mm -hmm. and industries who are doing amazing, crazy, awesome work and who are clamoring for people ready and qualified to move into their industry have no idea how to tell the story of who they are and what they do in such a way that students will imagine that as a possibility. Yeah. COSI is a really great linkage there. So talk a little bit yeah. about that role. Yeah, I, I do think we're a really great linkage there. And I think that, you know, we have current programs where that happens. Um, we have some new programs that'll be coming up that that you'll hear about soon where that's going to happen mm-hmm. even more strongly. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that we do in a really interesting way is help people, help children, students to see careers that they didn't even know existed, let alone um, think that they Mm -hmm. could do. So, for example, one of the programs we do is we broadcast live knee replacement surgery. Right. Dr. Politi, you know, he's got a head cam on and he's talking and you're watching this knee surgery. I've seen it and it's awesome. It's amazing. Right. The kids love it. (laughs) They do love it. But, you know, when we broadcast it into places, you know, he's also going around and saying, this is the anesthesiologist. This is, so you don't have to be a doctor to be in the medical. You can do this and you can do this and you can do this. And we hear back from students all the time. I didn't even know that job existed, right? right? So I think part of what we can do through our outreach programs, through things that happen in the building, through our website, through digital pieces, through all sorts Mm -hmm. of things is help students to see the possibilities that are out there. And even more than that, the possibilities we don't even know are going right. to happen yet. Right. So, right. you know, there's a lot of data mm-hmm. about the fact that in 20 years, the jobs that will exist don't even exist now. Right. So so it's about this way of thinking mm-hmm. and way of being so that you can fall into those mm-hmm. careers when they come along. But it's also about there's this whole world out there that mm-hmm. you didn't know existed. And I think that's particularly true in the STEM field mm-hmm. because I think those jobs tend to get very stereotyped. Mm-hmm. Um and so the ability to let them see this whole wide range of things mm-hmm. is is a really interesting thing. I remember I just recently was talking to to a group of kids and um, I said to them, well, I'm a scientist. And they said, you're not a scientist. Mm, yeah, I did research and, mm-hmm. you know, I was tenured at a mm-hmm. university. Mm-hmm. I'm a scientist. Oh my gosh. So wait, you can do science on people too? You can right. study people? Yeah, you can. And so letting them see that mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Um, I think the other thing that we do that, that's that been really interesting is we have labs in life right. at COSI, right? right? Yep. So yep. OSU researchers mm-hmm. doing their real work are doing their work in the building. Right. So the public now can understand what is research and why do we do it? Mm -hmm. And, oh, wait, I can be part of it too. That's really cool. Right, right. Um, So breaking down those barriers, I think, is something that that science museums can do really well. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the things that we see on an ongoing and regular basis and, um, uh, you know, fully supportive. You know, we we bring a variety of different researchers or programs in-house with us at the Innovation Lab for the very reasons you stated, right? It's not even just that I, I can't be what I can't see. I can't do what I don't know. We talk about that a lot at PAST. 
uh, to your point, it's it's both exposure mm-hmm. to things, mm-hmm. but it's also experiencing them as well, right? right? And to be able right. to go from, I didn't even know that job existed, to could I have a taste of what that might be? Um, you know, and, and, and the hope along the way is that you figure it out. Oh, yeah. I really don't want to do this thing. I thought I wanted to do that because I saw it in popular media or, you know, I know somebody that did that, but then I tried it and I really want to try this thing over here. Yeah. And the value of that cannot be understated. Yeah, absolutely. My son just just actually yesterday sent me a picture of my granddaughter who's six. Mm-hmm. Kosai and Wheels was at her school. Ah. And there's this great photograph of her with her lab coat on and her, her safety glasses holding a test tube up and looking at this test tube. And I looked at this picture and I thought, what if that's the moment where exactly. she was like, oh, this is so cool. I love this stuff. I want to do this forever, right? right? right. We don't know. That could have been her moment. Right. right. Um, and I think that's what we we can do. We, we are a place where you can discover your moments mm-hmm. and say, oh, wait, that's really interesting. I want to know more. Right. And the power of that moment cannot be understated. No, absolutely. And I think that as we think about moving forward and what does or should or could um, education um you know, in our country, around the world, um, look like one day. You know, I'm, I'm horrifically biased, right? You know, yeah, I want to, I, I want to drive. <laughs> I've said this many times, but you know, my idea of, the, of the, the perfect high school, the future is: I drive into a community and I stop at the first business on the edge of town and say, "I want directions to the local high school." And the response from the person, you know, standing behind the counter or, or speaking to me is. Well, what part of high school are you interested in? Because the kids who are interested in healthcare, they're all they're at, the, at, yeah. the, at the hospital. And the kids that are interested in science, they're over at that research center. And the kids that are interested in social justice, they're all down um, at the city center and just on and on. Yeah. And the reality is it's not a single place. It's a collective set of experiences. Yes, exactly. To me, exactly. that's the that's moment. That's perfect, right? Right. But right. we can't, we can't, Embrace that moment and truly not miss the opportunity to catalyze your granddaughter's moment, Mm -hmm. right? If we also don't show children and our communities the way to embrace our passions, that thing that inspires us the most as an actual career opportunity. Right, right. And that's a real different sort of way, not just to think about it or approach it, but to try to work to ensure that folks can go and live and work their passions. Yeah, and you know, and I think we have to do that and I think we also have to how do we how do we catalyze and keep that that sense that she has as she's looking at that. Like I look at that picture and I'm so afraid that 3 years from now she's going to be like, "Oh, I have to go to school. Right, and I don't want right, to do this." Right. And you know, we suck it out of we them. Do. And and how do we capture that and keep it keep going it. and yeah. say, okay, what's next for you now? What what could we offer you next? Look how excited you were. What's the next thing for you? Um, and, you know, so my dream would be that that's not just high schools. That's how oh, yeah. elementary school exactly. looks, right? That, exactly. that you start out early, you find these things you love, and you have these experiences that happen um, all over the place. And, and you get to develop that passion and what you leave school with mm-hmm. is a love for learning right, exactly. as opposed to a degree that right. says you pass, you know, six exams or right. whatever it is. Right. Yeah, because who cares? Right. Because, you know, back to your point, that's not that's not going to be tangible down the road. So, no, and you're going to forget most of it anyway. And you so, do. You, you know? do. I mean, how many times, you know, have you asked, um, you know, a, a young person in their 20s, tell me about some of your, your most wonderful memories? Yeah. They are rarely 
about sitting in a classroom. Right. Right. That is the rare child. They yeah. will tell you about some grand adventure they had. Their families in a national park. They will tell you about this great thing that they they did one weekend out in the snow. Right. It's a long list of, quite frankly, it's the experiences that yeah. stick with us. Because that's how things go into memory, right? It is, yeah. exactly. And so once again, that lets us come full circle to the power of that applied experience, that real hands-on, fully enriched, yeah. that, the ethos that is, in fact, informal learning and how to bring that back in. So, you know, for our folks that are out um, in the world that don't have a COSI. Yeah. Um, and, and the closest COSI is 150 miles yeah. away. Um, so I'm that teacher and I want to do everything that I just heard Kim Keel tell me were so wonderful about the opportunities to help folks learn. How do I do that? What, what, what are your sort of parting shots to folks who say, I'm ready to run down this road and I am in a system that's going to fully support me. So how do I start to bring more of this into my everyday? So I think the first thing that I say to them is ask more questions, right? So instead of looking at your kids as a group, look at your kids as a group of individuals mm-hmm. and ask more questions. Find out what this child's interested in. What is this child like? What is this child interested in? It takes a little more time, mm-hmm. absolutely, mm-hmm. but it's so much more enriching even for the teachers. So again, at SEEK, that was one of the things that our teachers knew everything every child was interested in Mm -hmm. and they knew how to then take it to the next place for them. And what they found and what I think most teachers find is that there's some things in common. So it's not like you have to individually plan for 30 children. You're individually planning for groups of five, you know, whatever it is. So ask more questions and then think outside of the classroom. What are the things that you can bring in that are maybe from the, the, park down the street or that are maybe from the building across the street. You know, maybe it's the architecture. Who knows what it is? And then also think about how do you turn that interest, how do you nurture that Mm -hmm. curiosity Mm -hmm. so that you can weave things in, right? So you can weave in writing if they're Mm -hmm. curious about it. You can weave in all those other things, but you have to know who they are right first right 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 so that's that's always the starting place mm-hmm. that i'll i'll tell people um and i think that's one of the things that we try mm-hmm. to capture with some of the things that we do as well you know i think it's interesting museums museums are going to have to reinvent who they are right, right? right so science museums in general attendance is on the decline mm-hmm. um, across science museums across the the country, but across mm-hmm. the world. And I think that's in part because you can get it on your phone, right? right? right so you right. can you can have a 3D experience on your phone now with, you know, a 25 mm-hmm. cent Google Glass, right? So I think we have to think about how do we become this place that's not seen as a museum, mm-hmm. that's seen as a place where you come and have a set of experiences, experiences yeah. that nurture your curiosity and that that really help you satisfy that curiosity. Mm-hmm. We're not a museum in sort right. of that traditional sense. Right, right. And I think that's an interesting quandary, right? Because yeah. on the one hand, every 
you it's rare to meet somebody who, once you get them going down the road, who've experienced a museum, will tell you what they love about a museum, right? Because yeah. it, it is a wonderfully immersive experience. The flip side of that is it's terribly old school in some respects, yeah. back to your point. So, so how do you not just as an institution reinvent yourself, but culturally, how do we embrace it as yeah. something different, right? As, yeah. as it's part of our evolution. So I think that that's a, it's a really key thing not to lose sight of. It is a key thing. And I think it's also important because there's a percentage of the population who sees museums as not for them. Correct. So if we really want to be a place that's for everybody, mm -hmm. which is absolutely what COSI wants to be, then we have to think about how do we change that conversation and how do we help people see us in a different way? And I think things like the Science Festival mm -hmm. are a, a first, first step for that. But I think there's a lot of other things mm -hmm. that, that we all need to think about to change that conversation about who we are and what we do. Right, right. We talk a lot of times, um, you know, with folks um, when they're really contemplating, you know, what might it look like if I were going to embrace something or utilize resources differently in my town. And um, one of the, the thing, first places I often see folks go that I think, you know, this conversation um, sort of lends itself around that caution is that, you know, there is... N truly no one size fits all and right. let that go back right. to your exactly. point right we are a collective yep. group of individuals we're you know we're, yep. we're you know as it relates to the way that we think about scaffolding the opportunity to learn for our students but it's, it's also not that it's just that there's not one size fits all there's not truly an off-the-shelf out-of-the-box approach that it's gonna be the answer right Absolutely. And, and so you have to be willing to recognize what you have, what you need, and to grab resources. And I use the term resources very generally and broad in this case, mm -hmm. in any community to tailor so that what is happening is reflected of the community itself. Right. Because right. if we can't get at that most granular level, you will never capture folks long enough to engage in the experience with you. Right. Because they will get bored, they will get turned off, they will right. walk and away, they leave. will believe yep. the museum is not for me. Right. And that that's on us. Yeah. So absolutely. In many ways. It's absolutely on us. And it's something I think that we're all really grappling mm -hmm. with right now. And it's become sort of top of mind for yeah. a lot of places these days. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as it should be. But I also, I, I, I want to make sure that we end on the high note that is there are so many opportunities um, and options out there stretched mm -hmm. around the world that, you know, reconfigured, rethought, regrouped, um, you know, can yep. suddenly be amazing experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And that's partly why I like that phrase, free choice learning, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, again, if you go back to Seek, we didn't just use the museums. Right. We went to the bakery up the street mm -hmm. and we went to the post office and we went to um, the metro stop and rode the metro. We went to the airport, right? Mm -hmm. So all of those places are places for free choice learning, exactly. right? Yeah. You just have to know where you can go to to keep that curiosity going. What's the next mm -hmm. thing? And it doesn't have to be a museum. It's great if you have a museum. Right. But if you don't have a museum, mm -hmm. there's a hundred places in your community oh, yeah. where you can learn. Oh, yeah. A hundred places. Absolutely. One of my all-time favorite um, past stories, which I, I know that you'll be able to relate to, is we were working in a community in rural South Dakota. Um, in this case, Armour, South Dakota, tiny, tiny little place. I'm trying to do something really fun and new, um, um, thinking about chemistry in particular. And so we took the kids and we spent the day with the local taxidermist. Yeah. 
right? That's and, awesome. And exactly, <laughs> because it was so incredibly tangible in right. that community, which is a big hunting and fishing community. Right. And quite frankly, the taxidermist there, as it turns out, um, you know, has projects come in from around the world right. because he's so good at what he does, right? And the entire shop and everything that he did and all the process we took the kids through was about the everyday stuff that he does, which completely related to the stuff that they had to learn. Absolutely. And suddenly it went from, I don't want to learn about that chemical process to, oh my God, I understand this and what would happen next if we do this. Exactly. That's exactly what the power of it right there. It's it was. amazing. Yeah. And, and that is quite frankly available and in every single community. Yep. You just have to think about it a minute. Yeah. You yeah. just have to find the thing. Yeah. You have that resource and you've got to go there and make it part of your everyday. Yep. So. And I think that's the thing that I really like about the Science Festival mm-hmm. is it's those kinds of places exactly. that are being featured in yep. each of these communities, yep. right? So it's not the science centers, Right. Right. It's, it's the local taxidermist or yeah. the local guy who builds prosthetic yep. um, exactly. legs or, you know, the guy who builds rockets on the side or yep. whatever it is. And that's, that's how you garner that excitement and and that personal connection. This is my community. This is my guy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah. the beauty of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it has been a true pleasure, Kim. Thank well, you so very much for uh, sharing your story um, and the way that you're thinking about how communities can embrace and think about um, informal education as the, the next rule of the road. So well, thanks thank for you. having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Good. Was Excellent. Really fun. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>